Uh, we have been in the book of John for uh, almost two years now, uh, and we are just about finished. We just have this week, another two more weeks after this, to finish up our study in the book of John. And so John chapter 20, uh, we, we got done our, our kind of series on failure. Great time for me, at least I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I, I feel like God did some things in our uh, in our lives as we looked into those things. But we're going to get back and finish up uh, John today. And, and kind of as we look at this passage in John, it's one of those stories that goes, you know, what, what is this about? Why is this included in Scripture? I mean, it's a nice story and it's touching and uh, a sense of resurrection morning and all that that meant to the people who were there. But what can I get from it? What can it mean for me? And so John chapter 20, we're going to look at verses 10 to 18 today. Now, as we look there, I'm going to, it reminded me, and, and, and I just want to say caveat up front, just disclaimer. I would not t- be so ready to tell this story, except Dana has like demanded that I tell you the story this morning. So I'm going to tell you this story, all right? Um, something that's probably something you can identify with. Probably all of us have had something like this happen. So Dana and I were out shopping one day at Walmart doing some grocery shopping. And uh, as we're going through, we were up in the, in the produce section up front and we bumped into this guy um, who works at Sam's Club and he works as one of those guys who checks your receipt before you leave, right? And, and I don't know much about him. I just, I know that he seems like he's a believer and somehow uh, over time, he kind of knew our names and he would say, how you doing, Mark? How you doing, Dana? Whatever. So when we saw him in Walmart, I was like, oh, there's the Sam's guy. And I kind of went like, hey. And he was like, hey. But Dana did not wave. She burst over to him and gave him a giant hug and was like, how are you? How's your wife? How are things going? And he and I were kind of like, okay. And she turned around to me in that language that only husbands and wives have and looked at me like, what's wrong with you? Why are you being so cold and distant? And I looked back at her like, what's wrong with you? So we ended this awkward experience and we walked away and Dana said to me, why didn't you go give Gene a hug? And I was like, that's not Gene. She's like, who was it? I was like, that's the guy from Sam's. So for the rest of our trip in Walmart, we like checked each aisle to make sure he wasn't in that aisle. And we avoided Sam's for about two months. Sometimes when we are uh, outside of the context of where we'd expect to see someone, we, it confuses us. It, we can't quite grab a hold of it. It happen, happens the opposite way for me a lot. Uh, sometimes there's people that I've met at church and gotten to know at church, uh, but I'll see you somewhere else and like say, hey, Pastor Mark. And I'm like, I know I should know you, but I have, I got no bearings here. You know what I mean? Like I can't pull it out of the, the recesses of my brain. And it's just because it's out of context. It's not where I would expect to see you. We use context to keep us grounded, to keep us, you know, on track, expectations even, what I expect to see, who would I expect to see here, where would I expect to know you. And it helps us to identify what is familiar, who is familiar. And what that means for us 
spiritually is that we can be at a loss a lot of times because things happen in our lives that are unexpected and we don't know what to do with that. Uh, You know, if you've been down some paths in your life and you get down these paths in your life and you're kind of like, well, now I've learned and now I've grown and now I know how to handle that. You wish that the next time a crisis would show up, it would be that crisis again because you'd be like, well, now I, I know how to handle that. I'm familiar with that. But that's not how God works. God always takes you to something different, something new, something that challenges you. And so it can make you feel like, I don't really know what I'm doing. It's hard to digest the unfamiliar. It's hard to embrace the unwanted circumstances of life. And, and the way I would say it today, for the sake of applying what we're going to read today, is that we can find Jesus showing up in our lives where we don't expect him to. And when Jesus shows in our, up in our lives where we don't expect him to, many of us miss it because we just weren't expecting it. We didn't know to look there. We don't know how to deal with that. We may be still in the process of dealing with some other things. And so we're going to look at this story today about that very thing. And I'm going to ask if maybe you've been missing Jesus in your life. Maybe he's been talking to you. Maybe he's been dealing with you, but you can't hear him. The, the noise in your life is so loud, you don't even know to be listening for him. Maybe he's been at work in your life, but you can't see it because you don't know, kind of you have no expectation there. It's not familiar to you. And so you're just missing what he's doing. And so we're going to look at this story uh, in John chapter 20. Start with me at verse 10. We're going to start by just reading down to verse 13. Here's what it says. It says, Then the disciples went back to where they were staying, But now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head, the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. All right, so where is this story in in the story of the Gospel of John? On Easter Sunday morning, we read the first nine verses of this chapter about the resurrection of our Lord, about the empty tomb, about Peter and John finding out that that the the tomb was empty by running to the grave, and they see the grave, and they see that there's no one there. And John says that when he saw it, he believed. And, And we're not quite told exactly what he believed or what that meant, but the implication is that somehow he understood that Jesus was alive again from the way that the grave clothes were there or the napkin was folded or whatever. Somehow he got it that Jesus was gone. But evidently, Mary Magdalene, which is the Mary in the story, followed them. Maybe she didn't run with them, but, but they're still at the tomb and she arrives at the tomb. And they kind of like are, are looking at everything. As you could imagine, if, if you were the disciples and you were looking at an empty tomb and folded grave clothes and you might have taken a moment, you probably just didn't run away. You probably took a moment to, to take it in. And so while they're doing that, Mary Magdalene joins them at the tomb. And that's where this passage picks up. It says, the men left, Peter and John left, but Mary stayed. And Mary stayed and cried. Now, why did Mary stay at the tomb? When the men left, why did she stay? Well, I mean, I don't think it's really complicated. I don't think it's really hard. I think she's suffering. 
I think she's upset. She's sad. She's not ready to walk away and feel like it's done. She's confused. She's heartbroken. And here she is at this empty grave wondering what happened to her Lord, wondering what happened to her friend. What has actually happened, she can't see. So she's living in a loss. Living in a loss that has been real. And I think for any of us that have suffered any real kind of loss, we know this. Loss can eat you up, can't it? It can overwhelm you. It can, can overwhelm every emotion, every sense. It can blind you. It can color everything you see. Sometimes it can be the only thing that you see. And I think as Mary stands outside the tomb crying, she doesn't get it because she's consumed with loss. And so we see this heartbroken woman there, just crying, just weeping by herself. But the story gets a little more intense because then John tells us that she looks inside the tomb. And when she looks inside the tomb, what does she see? She sees two angels. She sees them sitting where Jesus' body was laid, two men. Now, I don't know, you and I, if we saw two angels, if if you were, you know, maybe you were falling asleep because I'm being boring this morning or whatever, and all of a sudden there's two angels sitting up here, do you think that might wake you up? You might like, what are they doing? What, what's the glow going on over here? You know, why are, what's, how it's happening here? She looks in the tomb and she sees two angels and she doesn't get it. It doesn't do anything to her. Why? Because she's living in this loss. She's living like the loss she has suffered is more permanent than it is. She believes that Jesus is dead because he died. And that's what normally happens. When you die, you're dead. And that's the end of your life here on earth. But she's living like that loss is more permanent than it is. In in no way do I want to take away from the horror of the day that Jesus died. The loss and the sorrow of those who loved him that rightfully belong connected to that event. Absolutely. And we're only a few days removed. That was Friday. This is Sunday morning. We're only a few days removed from that story. But now, this morning, Jesus is alive. And she sees the empty tomb. She sees angels in the tomb. But she's still living in loss. She's still living in grief. Maybe you're living like this. The losses that you've suffered are horrible. The pains and the the stresses and the burdens of life are overwhelming. And there is grief and there is sorrow and there is darkness. But do we stay stuck in them because we don't see that as children of God, our losses are only temporary. That our struggles are only temporary. When you are really, really worn out, when you are really upset, when life feels like it has dealt you really bad cards, do you believe, do you have confidence, do you have this conversation with yourself that says, yes, it's bad and it hurts and it's awful, but it's not the end. This is just temporary. It can be hard to get there. And Mary didn't seem to be able to get there. But I want you to know that she's suffering Uh, and grieving a loss 
that is no longer true. And we're going to find out how untrue it is in just a second. And so she looks at these men in the tomb and they ask her, why are you crying? Why are you upset? Now, does that seem like a dumb question to you? I mean, I think for Mary, it might seem like, well, I don't know. I'm in a graveyard. Like, grab a clue, man. Come on. Why am I crying? Death. Death. Come on. Like, my friend is dead. That's why I'm crying. Why are you asking me why am I crying? If I saw somebody in the marketplace and I, and I saw him crying, I said, well, hey, what are you crying about? Maybe I couldn't connect the dots or whatever. But in a graveyard, you would expect that you could probably connect the dots about why somebody's crying, right? So in their question, when they ask her, why are you crying? There's some, like, implied nudge. There's something about them asking her, why are you crying, that's saying, hey, have you considered that maybe the reason you're crying is gone? Maybe, maybe that's not real anymore. She looks at the grave and she sees an empty grave that Jesus' body isn't there and she says to them, hey, somebody took him away. Just show me where he is and I'll take care of him. Just show me where Jesus is and I'll take care of him. That's the conclusion she's come to. But she doesn't ask herself, why are there two glowing men in this grave? She doesn't, she doesn't get to that. She doesn't say, well, why are they asking me about crying? She doesn't get the nudge. Why, why is there no body, but the grave clothes are still here? She doesn't get the nudge. She is in her good-heartedness towards the Lord. She wants to show her love for him. She wants to express it in caring for his body. She believes that Jesus is still dead. She just isn't up to date on what God has done. And I'll just say to you today, before we get into the next part, is there any possibility that you're just not up to date on what God has done? That what God is about and what God is doing in your life, maybe it looks to you like this, and God's like knocking on your heart's door, but it's just in an unexpected place, in an unexpected way, and you just haven't awoken to the reality that God is is in the process of doing things you haven't even imagined yet. Things that have not occurred to you. You're still living in, in the heaviness, in the sorrow, in the despair, in the grief, Because you're still processing the human realities. And God is working to begin showing you the eternal realities. But she didn't walk away from the tomb confused. Why not? Well, continue along with me. Verse 14 down to verse 16. After that conversation with the angels, it says, verse 14, At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus doesn't leave her confused. Jesus doesn't leave her lost. And he won't leave any of us there. Jesus talks to her, but she doesn't recognize him. Now, do you think that the Apostle John, when he records this, is trying to say to us that she doesn't recognize Jesus because she didn't know him well enough? Is that what she's saying? Is that what John's telling us? Are we supposed to look at this and go, well, Mary just didn't know what Jesus looked like. Because when she turned and asked him, she just didn't know it was Jesus because she didn't recognize him. She wasn't that familiar with him. 
Of course not. Do you think that John is saying to us, well, she didn't recognize Jesus because she didn't love him very much. So she wasn't really all that concerned or whatever about... She, her, her relationship with Jesus wasn't deep enough or strong enough, and that's why she didn't recognize it. Is that what John is telling us? Of course not. So why is she still confused? And why doesn't she recognize Jesus? Because she doesn't expect him to be there. She doesn't think that it's possible for him to be there. She's come to the conclusion, and it's a logical enough conclusion that it's impossible for Jesus to be there. So she never concludes or or even uh, considers the possibility that he might be there. She's filled with grief and she has no concept that he's alive. If she could wrap her head around what has happened, it would be a huge source of relief and joy and healing in her soul. But she hasn't gotten there yet. And it's not because she doesn't love him. And it's not because she doesn't know him. It's because she's a human being. And God is about to show her that there's possibilities that are bigger than what humans can imagine. She's missing what's right in front of her. So I would say, do we miss Jesus when he shows up? Why would we do that? Sometimes we think that we miss Jesus showing up because we don't know him well enough. Sometimes we get really condemning towards ourselves. Well, my relationship with Jesus isn't strong enough. That's why I'm missing what he's doing. I don't love him enough. Otherwise, I would never mistake his voice. Is that what happened to Mary? She mistook his voice, but it wasn't for a lack of love or for lack of knowing. It's just because God was showing her something new, something unexpected. We think, well, I'm not spiritual enough. I'm not a strong enough Christian. I'm not a good enough Christian. Maybe I'm not even a Christian. But I would say to you, missing when Jesus shows up is more a reflection of our humanity than our spiritual standing. Our humanity gets in the way. And our humanity is, it makes it difficult to get a concept of God that is big enough. I think this, I think, and I've said this before, Whatever your picture of God is, however big you think He is, however great, however powerful, however awesome you think God is, it's not big enough. God is bigger than that. Do you get that? Do you get that God is always going to be more than you could possibly conceive of? And so it should not surprise you when God surprises you. It should not discourage you that it is difficult at times for you to keep up with what God is doing. That it is hard to digest and hard to process because He's God. And He does unimaginable, impossible stuff. Things that you could never bring to... You know what the plan should be, God? It's why it's so foolish sometimes how we pray to God. Hey, God, if you could just do this and this and this, that would make everything awesome. Thanks so much. And God's like, you know what? The problem with you, you think so small. You have no idea what I want to do. How about if you just come to me and say, God, listen, you are great. Do what you want because it'll be awesome. How about faith like that? God, help me to see what you're doing. Help me to know when you're there. Help me to watch you do it and believe and have confidence, even though I don't get it yet, to have confidence in you. So that as my life unfolds, I'm not missing what you're doing. It sure can be hard to process at times. And we can own and embrace our weakness as people for that. 
Ultimately, the answer is to see what God is doing by faith. But before you can believe in something, you've got to find a way to like get a hold of it in your head. I can't believe in something that I don't even know what it is. I can't just believe in something. I have to believe in a specific, right? And so for, for Mary here, she had to believe that Jesus had risen from the dead. And that was not something she had thought was possible. So it had to like, she had to see him and that took a little bit for her to recognize him. And when she recognized him, then she could believe he's standing right in front of me. He is alive from the dead. I saw him die. Now he's alive. He's back. Then she could believe it, but she couldn't believe it until she could kind of like get the concept in her head. You know what I mean? It took a little while for her to get that concept in her head. And sometimes for us, we like What's so wrong? What's wrong with me? I'm so stupid. I can't believe I'm so stupid. No, you're human. Now, I want you to watch what Jesus' response to her is. Okay? She doesn't get it. He says, woman, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? And she says, hey, gardener person, man, if you've taken him away, tell me where you've put him. I'll go get him. Jesus says, what's wrong with you? I'm getting out of here. Jesus turns in disgust and walks away and says, why don't you believe in me? What's wrong with you? Is that what he does? Why does Jesus stay? Why does Jesus stay until she recognizes him? Why does Jesus do what it takes for her to recognize him? Because he has a heart for the ones that he loves. And he understands and he knows how hard it is for us to get our heads around him. And so he waits patiently. Wednesday night, we're talking about uh, 1 Corinthians 13. And we're talking about the description of love. And last week, we talked about how the very first thing it says is that love is patient. Love is patient. And, and one of the comments as we were talking about it was that God is love. And so this is also a description of God. God is patient. Do you know how patient God is? God is more patient with you than you are with you. You're tired of you. And God's still reaching out to you. God is patient. It's not, and patience, by the way, is that I could go faster, but I have slowed my pace to be with you, to, to make sure that we do this together. There, there's, a, there's a concern for the other in that I will wait for you, right? So imagine how hard it is for us to be patient. You know, if I'm already ahead of this, I've already got the answer and I'm moving on. I don't want to wait for anybody else. Imagine how big that gap is between God and us. When it talks about God being patient with us, he's had to slow down an awful lot. And so here he is. He's just done this, the greatest miracle of all time. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead, conquering death and hell and the grave for us forever. And he's not tromping around the earth in victory. He's standing here next to the tomb with one heartbroken woman. And he's waiting for her to get it. And I'll wait for you to. He's waiting for you to process it, to understand, to get to the place. Now, when does she get it? She gets it when Jesus gets personal with her. When he says her name. When he says her name. What does that mean? What's that tell us? It tells us this. That was the clue that broke the dam open, that, that, that opened the floodgates for her. That was the clue. This person knows me. When he said Mary, it wasn't just woman. It was, you know me, so I know you. 
right? And that personalness of it, that reminder that we know each other, that, that you trust me, that you know who I am. Come on, just open your eyes and you'll see me. But I don't think it was just her name. I'm thinking it was also the tone of how he said it. That she recognized the familiarness of him saying her name. That their friendship over the years. You know how sometimes you could pick, you would call somebody and there's like five people that can answer the phone and you, the, the person that picks up the phone, you can recognize that voice on the other end? When we, we used to be like people calling the house all the time and like uh, the boys would pick up. They'd be like, oh, they sound just like you, you know? And, and now Dustin tries to like imitate me on the answer machine. When we call home, he'll be like, oh, you've reached the odds. And like, oh, that's a good imitation. Because you can sound similar, right? But there's a similarity, there's a familiarity with knowing how someone's voice sounds. And when D- Jesus says, Mary, she recognizes him. And she gets it. And immediately, her sorrow is released from her. She is unburdened because suddenly she sees what God has done. And I know that there is a day coming, whether that day is today, or whether that day is a week or a month or years in the future, where you will get what God is doing, and it will set you free. I pray that that day is today for you. And I know this. If God will speak to you and God will knock on your heart's door and you will respond in faith, that there will be a releasing of your soul from what has been keeping you trapped if you'll let him. He knows Mary's name. He knows your name too. He called her by name and he's calling you by name too because you're in need of knowing that he showed up. Jesus stayed there. Jesus waited until Mary realized it was him. And he wants you to know his presence in your life as well. And when he shows up, he shows up with this promise, with this truth, with this amazing, awesome reality that we have the privilege of holding on to no matter what comes in life. And it's that he is greater than her grief, than her loss, than her fears, than her ability to understand. He is greater than all of it. And he's greater than yours too. And so you can, by knowing the presence of Jesus, know peace in your soul. By the way, I think that there are a lot of times you can know that Jesus is close. But I think there are probably very few times in life that you will feel him closer than when you are in sorrow and grief. He is a man of sorrow acquainted with grief. Right? I think sometimes it is hard to be in those places, but it's also sweet to be in those places, to know that God is right there with you. All right, one more thing. Verses 17 and 18, finishing out this story. So she recognizes him, rabbi, teacher, right? And so Jesus says to her, verse 17, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. I think this is the main reason, of all the things we've already talked about, I think this is the main reason that this story is included. And it's an amazing truth. It really is kind of powerfully unbelievable. 
Jesus says to her, don't hold on to me. I haven't ascended to the Father. Some people are like, she wasn't allowed to touch him because Jesus was about to ascend to the Father and come back. And maybe that's true, maybe it's not. But my sense of it is this. I've got a few days here. I've got a couple weeks here that I'm going to be around and then I'm leaving. We got stuff to do. So don't, we're not going to hang out here. Don't hold on to me. Don't keep me here. I've got stuff for you to do and I've got stuff to do. We've got to get busy before I ascend to the Father. Right Now, Jesus, we don't know all that he did. We read some of the other things he did. We don't know everything he did. But we know this. He had something for Mary to do, didn't he? What did he have for Mary to do? Go tell the disciples. Now, maybe that bounces off you. Maybe that's just not, I don't know, maybe that just doesn't hit you. Who is the first eyewitness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Mary Magdalene. The first one. In all of history, the first one to ever see the risen Christ, Mary Magdalene. Isn't that cool? What a privilege it is. She's hanging out at the grave, lost in her grief. And because she's there, Jesus shows up and she's the first one that gets to see him. But it's even cooler than that. Because he doesn't just show himself to her. He personally asks her to be the very first witness to his resurrection. Go tell the disciples. Go tell them that I'm alive. Nobody else has seen him yet. Now, who was just at the tomb? Oh, John and Peter were just there. You think Jesus was like, oh man, I just missed them. I wanted to get Peter to tell everybody, but whatever, I guess I'll just tell Mary she can be. I think this is very much on purpose that Jesus waited until the men were gone and he waited for this weeping woman and he waited for her to get it, to say to her, please be the first witness to my resurrection. Now, maybe that doesn't mean a lot to you, but let me give you some context. First century women, had no rights. As a matter of fact, if a woman saw a crime, she could not be called in a court of law as a witness. She did not have that kind of standing in that society. So isn't it cool that Jesus chose as the first witness to the greatest miracle of all time, a woman? Isn't that awesome? Because he goes against the conventions that say, no, the men who are stronger, they're the ones who are important. In this society, a woman could have influence, but her influence was always through a man, through her husband or through her son or somehow like that. But Mary is here by herself on her own, and Jesus asks her by herself to be the very first witness of his resurrection. Sometimes Christianity gets the reputation of being chauvinistic. That men are good and women are weak and and we're going to kind of like lord over and whatever. Sometimes we get that. And and many times Christianity has been used for that purpose. But I will tell you, pure Christianity, pure following of Jesus Christ is based in we are all equal. We are all the same in value. We are all the same in importance. We are all eligible to be used for the kingdom of God. And no one is less than, and no one is is, uh, to be dismissed or washed away or wiped off. Not because of your gender, not because of your skill set, not because of your attractiveness, 
not because of your personality, not because of your past, not because of your future, not because of your present, not because of anything. Pure Christianity does not differentiate between people. Why not? Think about it. Why not? How did we get to be Christians? Did the better people get to be a part of the kingdom of God and the worst people missed out on it because they didn't deserve it? Is that how that worked? No, we got to be a part of the kingdom of God because of nothing about me except I'm a mess. But all because of him. If we're going to live that out as true, we're going to live out that we are all eligible to serve our Lord. We are all eligible for His love, for His presence, for His work. Why? Because it's not based on me anyway. And maybe you've been, you know, Mary, can you imagine Mary going, you know what, Jesus, I'm just a woman. Go find somebody else. No, 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 you don't want to use me. I'm not qualified. No one will think I'm qualified. Can you imagine if God said, Jesus said to her, hey, I want to use you, and she said, no, I can't do that. No one in the society thinks I'm worth anything. God uses those who are dismissed, those who are marginalized. If no one thinks you're much, then you're invited to serve the greatest cause of all time. There were many eyewitnesses to Jesus' resurrection. This is not some myth or some fable. That's why the first century was rocked by Christianity. But there's only one first witness, and it is this woman, Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus says, go tell my disciples, she does it. And so today, here's kind of what I'm asking as Jesus shows up in your life. Maybe one of the things he's showing up in your life is to say, who do you think you are? Who do you believe you are? Are you a summary of your feelings? How you feel about yourself? How you feel about life? Is that who you are? Are you the grand total of your skills? Are you who people think you are? Your reputation? Is that who you are? Are you weak? Do you call yourself a mess? Do you call yourself a reject? Do you look for excuses to refuse value to yourself? What I'm asking you is, Jesus looked at somebody that society said, she's not able to do that. And Jesus said, well then, fine. She's the one I'm going to pick to do that. How long will we define ourselves? When are we going to start letting Jesus define us? He made us, didn't he? He saved us, didn't he? How long am I going to tell God what I'm able to do and not let him tell me what he wants me to do? We need to step up into serving the kingdom of God. How long are we going to limit ourselves to less than what he's called us to do? We go to work. We go about our daily business. We go about our week. And we go about it like there's nothing much to it. And yet God says that he has called us to be his ambassadors as though God were making his appeal to a lost world through us. Are you being an ambassador? Are you stepping up into that grand calling of witnessing? We're going to close with a song today. I'm going to invite Matt and Kelly to come up, get themselves ready for that. And I'm just going to say this to you. Maybe today, you you don't know, but would you be surprised if Jesus showed up in your life today? Would you be stunned that he has something for you 
something to say to you, that he cares about you, that he's waiting for you, that he's patient with you. That like when he said Mary, he wasn't disgusted, he wasn't frustrated, he said it tenderly, that he would say that to you even though you were disgusted with you. Even though you are frustrated with you, that Jesus shows up in your life and his heart isn't what you... Would you be surprised at that? What does he have for you to do? What does he want for you to know? What work does he have in your life? Maybe God's plan for you is bigger than you've ever imagined. And because of that, it's going to take you down roads that you would never choose. And it's going to take you into circumstances that you would never ask for. Why would that be? Because God wants you to know he just showed up in your life. And his plan for you is bigger than your plan for you. And his power in your life is able to accomplish all that he has in his heart for you. Will you trust him in that? Don't miss Jesus because he shows up in places you don't expect, with plans you don't expect, asking you to do something you never thought of. Because that's our Savior. That's our God. I invite you to see him Now, wherever he is in your life, whatever he wants to do in your soul, see him. Maybe you can't see him because all you've been looking at is the stuff that seems bad and wrong and distasteful and bitter. And maybe why you've been missing him is because that's where your attention has been. Maybe you're overwhelmed with stuff like worry and stress and, and that stuff that's got all of your mind locked up is blinding you to Jesus right there. You keep thinking he's the gardener and you're like, just tell me where it is so I can go fix it. And he's like, hey, I already fixed it. It's me. I pray that today you can see your Savior right here in your life right now.